Welcome to the Refresh from Insider. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Kay Moynihan. It's Friday, October 22nd, and we've got the latest news you need and want to know. Plus, we'll talk about why the pandemic made us all a lot more grumpy. And some of the brittleness, I think, that you rightly characterize there comes from not being able to help and feeling like nobody was helping you. But first, the latest. Two judges have turned down legal attempts to block Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, including Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. She's rejected a case brought by a Conservative Taxpayers Association from Wisconsin. It claims the Department of Education is overstepping its role in managing student loans. Meanwhile, another case from six GOP-led states was thrown up by a federal judge who told them they lacked standing to proceed with their lawsuit. Standing is a legal doctrine, meaning the parties have to prove they were actually harmed. For now, it looks like millions will start getting debt relief from Sunday as planned. Elon Musk has big plans for Twitter if and when his takeover is finally complete. According to the Washington Post, Musk intends to lay off nearly 75% of Twitter's staff. That would take the company from 7,500 employees down to about 2,000. Twitter's current management had already planned to cut about a quarter of the workforce, but such a major cut would seriously impact the platform's ability to mitigate harmful content and prevent security breaches. Bloomberg reported that the Biden administration says it's considering taking a closer look at Musk's Twitter deal as well as his SpaceX Starlink satellite internet network, possibly subjecting them to national security reviews. It's pretty dismal news for Snap. The social media giant reported its slowest quarterly revenue growth ever. There's a lot going on. Fierce competition from TikTok, a broader economic malaise that's hitting tech companies especially hard. But Snap also attributed its struggles to advertisers holding back on spending, as the industry is still figuring out how to target ads after Apple implemented recent privacy changes. The silver lining is that the number of daily users is up. But unless Snap can figure out how to monetize that surge, the outlook is grim. The company said, quote, forward-looking revenue visibility remains incredibly challenging. In August, the company was planning to lay off around 20% of its workforce. Despite all the rumblings of a quiet quitting epidemic, a new survey found that 81% of US workers are actually putting in the same amount of effort, or more, than they were six months ago. Only about 18% of respondents said they're phoning it in or putting in less effort than they used to. Yet, the data, conducted by a think tank called the Conference Board, shows that while employees are still working hard, they report feeling less committed to their jobs. Taylor Swift dropped her highly anticipated 10th studio album last night. It's called Midnights. The singer says the album is a, quote, collage of intensity, reflecting lots of different emotions and thoughts that can happen in the middle of the night. The Guardian's review says in true Taylor style, some of the lyrics could be pointed at recent foes like Kanye West or Scooter Braun, who sold her old master recordings in 2019. Definitely no shade being thrown here. Karma takes all my friends to the summit. Karma is the guy on the screen. Coming straight home to me.
Here at The Refresh from Insider, we have the news you need and want to know always up to date. And hey, if you like what you hear, help us keep the sound waves on by telling other people to listen to the show. Does it seem like everyone is a little more on edge lately? It does to me. SNL even did a skit recently about our collective rage. Have you noticed that everyone around you is angry and crazy? People are flipping out at Target, stabbing his back. And the only thing that can cheer us up is watching a sexy show about Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, new research shows that Americans' core personalities actually have changed since the pandemic began. And even though historically times of crisis bring people together, Insider's Adam Rogers explains that this time it tore us apart. Adam, your article talks about a change to what are called the big five personality traits, agreeableness, conscientiousness, extroversion, neuroticism, and openness. And you cite research that shows those traits changed pretty quickly during the pandemic. Yeah, the big five, one of the reasons they're called the big five is that they are remarkably stable, that each of us, you know, gets some measurement of these five traits. And then we, we kind of stay that way from like between the ages of 16 till when we're about 60. And what these researchers did is that they had these surveys for more than 7,000 people, where they would repeatedly ask you to take these personality inventories. They had data from before the pandemic until two years later. And they found that people's personalities had changed that on four of the measurements. Early in the pandemic, they saw changes in neuroticism. Neuroticism is actually a, a metric of like emotional stability and resilience. People were more emotionally stable at the beginning of the pandemic. They got better. But then over the course of the pandemic, everything else got worse, less agreeable, less extroverted, less open to new things. And they changed only kind of a small amount in a gross sense, but relative to how much you would expect, it was quite a lot. So over those period of, of two years, it changed for the population about as much as you would expect to see a change over 10 years. And speculatively, the hypothesis here is that what did it was the pandemic. So what is notable about seeing such change so quickly? Well, so the first thing is that it's unexpected. People who study personality change would not expect to see a population scale change like that, especially in a unified direction. This was weird because they did find these personality changes and they were consistent that they saw across the board, small but statistically significant changes in the same direction for people. But the second reason that it's weird is that it's a fundamental tenet of the sociology of disasters that disasters make people better. That's a loaded word there, but people help each other. People get kinder. They reach out to strangers. We do not become, you know, the, the Mad Max feral looting, shotgun-wielding defenders of walled compounds that, like science fiction likes to say, happens in a post-apocalyptic world. But it turns out to be wrong, which is a real bummer. But it's not the first time this country has faced a collective crisis, or a pandemic for that matter. So how was this pandemic different? There are a few answers, I think, to that. One of them is that it just lasted a long time. It has lasted, continues to last a long time. And so, you know, an acute event is very different than like two years, going on three years of, you know, how to deal with this, of just the weight of it on people that you kind of run out of resources. You know, people will make comparisons between the COVID pandemic and let's say the 1918, 1919 influenza epidemic. While the whole, the global 
pandemic lasted for a year, two years. In the United States, at least, the flu would get to a city and then it would run through the city and then it would leave and that was it. So people could deal with it. They could um, sort of respond to it, both really respond to it, but also emotionally respond to it. Your article talks about people becoming jerks. Uh, The word that comes to mind for me is brittle. It seems like people are just frail. I wish I'd used that word because it's certainly a more sensitive one. At the beginning of 2020, I wrote an article saying, you know, if we just all hold the line together, if we just stick together with each other on this, like every other disaster, it is beatable. And I think that I was wrong and naive. One of the things that happened, I think is pretty well established, is that when it became clear, for example, that the pandemic had more of an impact on poor people and on people who weren't white, I and a lot of other people who wrote about it, both professionals and also journalists, started putting that in everything we said, you know, thinking, well, you've got to help people who are vulnerable, who are more vulnerable than yourselves. And in fact, I think it had the opposite effect. I think that it made people think, well, it's not my problem anymore. And some of the brittleness, I think, that you rightly characterize there comes from not being able to help and feeling like nobody was helping you. There's an abandonment in both directions that becomes very self-interested. And that, I think, is, is a catastrophic way to characterize or think about any disaster. And to see that in your neighbors and your fellow citizens and to feel it in yourself, I think the only, (laughs) like, yeah, that's going to have an impact on your personality. You're going to get kind of brittle after that. Have any of the researchers you've talked to mentioned going back? Like, can our personalities change for the better going forward? Or are we just doomed (laughs) to keep getting grumpier? Because this pandemic is never ending. (laughs) One of the things that I think is fairly constant about my own personality is that I tend to be pretty optimistic. What personality change experts know is that the way that you change personalities is through small but constant and diligent effort. I still hope that what the pandemic could still teach us is how to be better with ourselves and with others. And you can take small steps, you know, that move us to a place where we are our better selves. Adam, thanks so much for chatting. It is my pleasure, as always. Adam Rogers writes about technology and culture for Insider. Make sure to follow the Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Kay Moynihan. And I'm Rebecca Ibarra. We produce our show along with Grace Eliza Goodwin, Frank Alito, and my usual co-host, Dave Smith, who's spending time with his new baby. Andy Bowers is the head of audio at Insider, and we had help this week from Rob Gunther, Dan Gooding, and Michal Stein. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. 